Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest, and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. In the previous episode, we talked about the Enneagram and the nine different personality types and how people have different motivations and therefore different goals. And then we fed that into um, a consideration then of what we call our 4Fs model, which is it's uh, not all about finance, it's fun, fitness, finance and philosophy. What we're going to talk about today is uh, total money management. So we have a model for this and we call it the three wells. So if you want to achieve total financial independence, you you essentially need three buckets or three wells. Your well three is your long-term or legacy investment. So for a lot of people, that might be your home, investment properties. For people under the age of 60, it might be their superannuation. And those are your long-term investments that just keep on ticking away, compounding away in the background. Uh, If you've got kids, ideally, you know, if you don't eat the seed corn, that can go form part of your will or your legacy. Obviously, to be financially independent, you need a buffer uh, for that one to 12 month period to cover your living costs. Uh, so, you know, your day to day living, your groceries and so on. And depending on your um, standard of living and all the rest of it, you know, that might be a six figure number. It might be $200,000 and whatever. And what we find is a lot of people in our coaching programs they're long-term and legacy assets. Yes, sometimes their portfolio needs a bit of tweaking, but people generally start to build up that bucket as they get older. The well one, most people don't have a, a problem as they get older of actually building some kind of a buffer of living costs. So, but what most people seem to be often missing is that middle well, that two to five year uh, well. So it's living, lifestyle, and long-term or legacy. And it's that two to five year pot which can be actively Manage. So we talked in episode one about why you should consider managing your own money, uh, liquid funds between stocks and cash and potentially bonds. Uh, so Steve, uh, it was actually your model that came up with the three wells. So tell us a little bit um, about um, the how three this, wells. Yeah, and then what we'll do, we'll once we've talked about uh, how much you might need in each each bucket or each well, we'll go on to talk about what the different types of uh, investments or Strategies, strategies you might use yeah, yeah. in each of the wells. Yeah. So over to you. Jeez. Um, the, well, the well idea came after I retired and thought, now what the hell am I going to do? Um, the second part about that was really important was now I've got this bucket of money and given my circumstances, I wasn't really going to go back into the workforce, right? I was about 50. I've been out of the workforce for a while for various reasons. I raised my kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. Nobody's going to really want a 50-year-old when you can take a 35-year-old. So what I said was, well, if I've got this bucket of money, how am I going to generate enough money for me to live day to day, but also build wealth to pay for other things? You know, I might want a new car in two years. Um, what am I going to do if I want to go to Europe in three years and stuff like that? 
who's going to look after me in my, you know, my older years. So the way I sort of built the three wells was to say, all right, it's based generally on the idea of time. Most of us have a job and that job is divided into three wells, right? So you give me a thousand bucks a week and I say, all right, now I've got to pay for the, the restaurant. I've got to pay the electricity and I've got to pay Telstra and that sort of stuff. The second well is saying, now I need to save some money because I'm going to go to Europe in two years or, you know, buy a new car. The third part of the money is saying, which disappears a lot for most people through superannuation. So that's going to be look after me when I'm 60 or older. When you look at it like that, when you alluded to earlier in the series, we talked about Benjamin Graham saying, look, over the short term, the stock market's a voting machine, mm. right? But over the long term, it's a weighing machine. So what you do is you look at it and you say, look, let's say I get my superannuation like we talked about before. You, I come to you and I say, Pete, here's your $1,000 for the month of January. Now, you can say, all right, I don't need this money for a long time, okay? So I'll, I'll be happy to wait for a few months until the markets become cheap, then I'll invest it. It's not something where you go, right, now I'm going to head off to the track and then I'm going to put it all on number four because I need the money tomorrow, okay? Well, two is much more where, as you said, we talk about our ETF strategy, is basically about saying, okay, this portion of my $1,000 is going to, I want to go to Europe in 2023. I want to buy a new car next year. Uh, look, the kids are going to need braces. Miss three-year-old's going to be a private school at five. So you plan out those longer-term interim costs. You need a well or a bucket or a pool of money that says that money is to profit over this time frame. So that one there, again, is not saying, I'll slip down the track every week and try to double it for next year, right? So again, the investment way you look at it there is saying, look, I'm going to put this money in here and I'm going to try and make money out of it on an annual basis, right? Because your superannuation pool is, I'll just leave it there and it might compound and I'll deal with that in rebalancing it for argument's sake annually, mm. right? Is uh, The middle well is, is maybe you might rebalance every year. The first well is the let's pay the bills and, you know, the electricity and that sort of stuff. We have a different strategy for that, which is much more shorter term focus, right? So that necessitates a different way to invest than it is when saying, oh, well, I'm going to put my money here and I'll, I can revisit it in two and three and four years later. This money is saying, well, hang on, I've got it on a Monday and conceptually or philosophically, I want to get it back Friday. Now, it doesn't mean you have to get it back Friday, but what it says is, how can I make money over the shorter term, which if I wanted to, I could say, well, look, I put a thousand in on the Monday and I got, you know, 1,200 on the Friday. So I took a hundred bucks because I needed to pay for the utilities. Okay. So it's three different time frames, and investing differently depending on the time frame not just going, oh, well, let's just buy and hold and, you know, it's all 30-year money. So let's talk a bit about what types of investments, what strategies might go in each well. So let, let's start with the the simplest, the, the well three, your long-term or legacy yeah. assets. So for a lot of people, 
your place of residence might go in there if you have one. Investment property tends to be a well three asset. It works well for younger people with a long runway because you can use leverage if you buy in high growth locations for the long run. That can see you through the cycles because yep. property is very liquid, has high transaction costs. It doesn't work well as a flip for most people yeah. unless you get the timing yeah. right. market cycles. Yeah, and mean reversion. So a lot of people, their superannuation comes into that pot as well, whether they give that money to a fund manager or choose to self-manage yep. it because you can't access those funds before typically before you're 60 anyway. Yep. So in terms of um, stock market investments, the types of things that might go in there, you, you can, of course, do ETFs, but th that might be where you look at some of the big systemic companies that pay off, yep. throw off big income streams. I'm just thinking at the time of speaking, the types of companies that have suddenly got cheaper oil companies. Yep. Now, if you're taking a, a 20 or 30 year viewpoint, the big super majors, they'll still be around churning out millions of barrels of oil and there'll be strong dividend streams over that, that, point period, of, of that period of yeah. time. So yep. do you have uh, other examples of what might go into that long-term bucket? Yeah, usually, as you pointed out there, usually the big systemic type companies. Now, again, what people might say is, oh, no, you want the high growers, you know, but you don't. What you want is you want to just compound steadily. And again, I'll go back to Warren Buffett. You know, he buys big companies. Now, he buys them firstly because he's got, you know, huge amounts of cash to deal with. But there's a really good book, The Future for Investors, uh, by Jeremy Siegel. Mm. Now, it's written about 2005, I think. But what Siegel shows is the sort of non-sexy companies, dare I say it, tobacco companies, oil companies. We'll edit this bit out for yeah, in case yeah, you're yeah, yeah. <laughs> For those of you with no morals, <laughs> yeah. tobacco companies are great. No, it's a valid yeah. point, actually, because most, quite often it is actually the unloved companies. So the Exactly. Most, at this current point in time, I imagine coal would be a much hated asset. But yeah. to a certain extent, that industry is fading out. The reason I mentioned oil is, well, oil still, there's no replacement for it in aviation fuel. Yep. It still goes into plastics. So it's got any number of uses that that won't be replaced over 50, 100 yeah. years. And It'll still be around. And so when you look at that well, you can, again, you can say, well, if, if I was going to buy a company, I'd buy it for, say, 20 years, let's say 30 years, okay? Now, people will go, oh, you should buy Amazon, right? The chances of picking Amazon, as we showed with the capitalist distribution, is near not impossible. Or picking Apple. Apple nearly went broke. Right, and was saved by Bill Gates basically because you know he didn't he didn't want a, any lack of competition. Amazon lost ninety five percent from two thousand to two thousand and two or three. How many of us would have held through that? So what you want to do is you might say, well, look, currently oil stocks might be paying seven or eight or <laughs> as of about three days ago <laughs> about fifteen percent dividends. Yeah. So if you said to yourself, I'm going to invest and get that constant dividend, right? Not sexy but I'm getting 8% compounding every year, right? Why? Because I've got 30 years. I don't need the money tomorrow. And it doubles, you know, that kind of rate of return. Even with no growth, you're compounding your wealth. Exactly. At, you know, exactly. doubling your wealth in a decade yep. or more. So you want those big systemic companies who are generally been around for a long time. They know how to manage through market cycles, their own ups and downs. They don't have too much debt. Okay, so they've got their debt coverage, and that is important because that's the survival thing. Hmm. So you tend to sort of drift towards, you know, for example, the Dow, 
you know, 30 really big companies. So you tend to drift towards them. And as I said before, and what Siegel shows, if you asset allocate and rebalance properly, they are really safe investments, okay? And you can do really, really well. Now, that doesn't mean you never sell them or anything like that or that they don't go bankrupt, but they generally have really good long-term returns. And that's what Well3 is about. Yeah, so it's big mature systemic companies systemic that will stuff, be yeah. around. And there's, there's a certain uh, theory as well that the longer some things have been around, the longer they will be around. The Lindy it. effect. Yeah, that's right. So hat tip to uh, Nassim, Nassim Taleb for uh, bringing a very old principle, but yeah. which can but be applied to investing. It makes complete sense. And it's not what we're not talking about is survivorship bias because that's a different thing where people yeah. will say, oh, well, you should have just put uh, 100 grand into Westfield yeah. And yep. it floated in 1960, and today it will be worth 100 and however much million because that's cherry picking. We're not yeah, talking yeah. about that. We're talking about companies that have proven to generate returns for investors. Yep. Now, obviously, the price that you pay matters. So, hence why at the moment we're talking about energy, but at other times there'll be other things. So, that's that's the kind of the well three it's yep. your investment property, superannuation for a lot of people, and if, if they've got other funds in that that well it could be the the big systemic companies so let's talk a bit about well two because that's most often what people are missing and then we'll we'll finish up looking at well one in terms of short-term money management sure so well two is most ideally suited i mean for sure you can do real estate if you like doing property developments or flips but it's most ideally suited to liquid investments which is essentially for most people stocks and, and etfs yep um, and and cash and uh, it's just getting that balance right through the cycle. Yep. Two to five year strategy and that's really what generates financial independence. You know, you've got your long term assets compounding away and that's great. But what you really need is a pool of capital, of liquid funds that you can manage, manage. for yourself. Yep. And so that is most ideally suited to the ETF strategies that yep. we've been talking about. Buying countries when they're cheap buying sectors when they're cheap, yep. um, and when the overall market is cheap, uh, especially in the US, then you can move much more of your funds yep. towards stocks and less in cash. That's focusing on the risk hierarchy that we talked about in previous episodes. And so let me give you an example, which is a bit contrived, but it's just giving you the the, the idea behind it. If you said, look, I've got $1,000 and I want to go to Europe in two years' time and I'll need $1,600 for argument's sake. What you can do is if you invested, let's say January the 1st, and you said, right, there's my 1000 in and um, two years' time I'm going to want to take it out and pay for my European holiday with the profits or with part of the capital or whatever. If you bought BHP, you might get to the two, the two years part and go, mm, okay, didn't do very well. That's not to say that it won't do well over a five-year term, right? It depends on when you want that money back. The easier route to take is to say, well, I'll buy these ETFs when they're cheap. What we see and what the evidence has shown is that when they bounce back, they bounce back fairly strongly. You can go from 1,000 to 1,600 and then say, right, now there's my European holiday, right? So I'm going to take that off the market and do it again. So you get this again, overlapping systematic approach, which is buying and selling in that sort of Ben Graham style. You know, it's cheap. Yep. Right. Buy it. It's now had 12 months. It's now made, you know, a good return. Okay. Sell it and put it back into another cheap one. And that's how you think about it 
over that time frame by saying, okay, I've covered with my European holiday, superannuation is looking after my, you know, well three. And then, as you said, we can talk about well one. But that's how you manage that middle part of the, you know, two to five or one to five year cycle. I think the reason it's important, I think, is because, as you can imagine, a real estate advisor, I get a lot of people come to me like, well, I've got a buffer here sitting in a mortgage offset and I've got my investment properties and my super, but, you know, where's, now what there's, do I do? there's no income. Yeah. They're, they're no, and that's the missing that's the missing piece of the puzzle for most yeah. people is that you've got your long-term assets that just compound away in the background. Australia, partly because of uh, the government doesn't own much housing stock and the tax legislation, a lot of people have investment properties or an investment unit and that ticks away in the background, but there's yeah. no income. Yes. Uh, and it's not tax effective from an income perspective. Yeah. But what's really missing is for people, it's like, well, that's fine, but where do I actually get the living Yeah, where cost? can I get a second job? And that's the two to five year money. Now, yep. most people don't have too much trouble saving up the buffer, but let's talk about well one, because um, I guess when people are busy working full time, especially in modern stressful careers, they may have no time or inclination. Yep. And it's not even really the time to manage your own money. It's more actually the mental energy, because I think from a from a time perspective, once you understand the principles, the Kelly criterion and moving averages, it doesn't take much time to yeah. actually manage your money on a daily basis. Yep. But sometimes for people, what's really missing is the mental space or energy to yeah. do it. But let's just talk uh, without going too much into the detail of it. But how can you make your short term pot of money, money, whether it's 100 or 200,000, yep. you know, it depends on your personal living costs and whatever, yeah. but how do you actually manage that pot of money on a short-term time frame? Okay. I look at it in, in a way of saying, as I said to you, when I had this pot of money and then went, gee, actually I've got to make some money, and I went, well, I've got to pay for the kids' education and, you know, I don't want to be left homeless when I'm 65, but I need to pay for the, you know, bacon and eggs. That's the initial point, Right. And so then, for example, what I did was I said, well, how much do I need to live every year? And let's, for argument's sake, say it's 50,000. Then you can extrapolate out of that and say, okay, well, if I was to make 50,000 in a salary, and for example, I said the average return was going to be 10%, then I would say, okay, well, I need 500,000. Now, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Not much though. Conceptually, what it's saying is, how much of my pool do I need to pay as much as possible of my day-to-day expenses? The reason why is day-to-day expenses are not investments, they're costs. They compound negatively and eat away at your money. The $300 a week you spend on stuff is $300 that you don't get back. And so you've got to find you know, more money to build that. So if you look at well one, what you do is you get a bucket of money, And then you look at it, the way I looked at it was, all right, well, if I was busy, you know, I'm busy working, I really would like to do something in the stock market, but, you know, be damned if I get home eight o'clock every night and, you know, want to spend an hour doing stocks. The way to do that is with the well one strategy, I looked at it and said, this is my second job. Like all second jobs, it might be, well, what do I do and how do I earn extra money? This is a really simple strategy that takes, you know, and I've got to be honest, it probably takes about a minute every day to do, okay? And that's, that was the idea of me saying, 
well, if I had to get a second job, I'll take this pot of money, use it to generate $1,000 a week or whatever. Some weeks it'll generate 2000 some weeks it'll generate nothing and it'll go negative. And then, you know, a month later it'll generate $4,000 a week. Um, so I won't bore you with that here. But that's the concept just to say that's my second job money and that, that allows me to, you know, have a bit of a fling on the um, on clothes or, you know, on records or whatever you want to buy. Books is my addiction. So, you know, I look at that and say, well, I'll buy books out of the well-won stuff, mm. not out of my superannuation money. Yeah, I think uh, this goes back to what we talked about in the previous episode in terms of goals and personality yeah, types. Yeah, yeah, you know, absolutely. And, uh, you often see some of these uh, sort of frugalista type blogs that say, well, I can live on $100 a week in terms of food. And, and it's like, you know, I, I could have done that when I was at university. I might have spent, you know, maybe $100 on food, but I'd probably spent 500 on grog. Yeah, yeah. But as you move through life these days, I, I if I want to take the kids out for... It's 500 on food. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is... <laughs> yeah, that's the compounding in action. But, you know, living in Noosa, you go out for breakfast or lunch. And, yeah, yeah. You know, without blinking, you could spend $100. So, Absolutely. You know, I, I want to get, you know, at this point in my life, I don't want to be scraping around, you know, for to live on lentils yeah, and yeah. beans or whatever. Yeah. I have been able to do that when I was younger, but things change. Uh, so you need to think about this well one in the context of your own living costs. Now, as we talked about in episode five, quite often people find when they're no longer working full time and also when the kids have flown the nest, suddenly your living costs drop. Um, but at, at my stage in life, I've got two toddlers. You know, there's school fees looming, you know, car upgrades. Costs are going up. Yeah, that's right. There's the, you know, so the, my buffer might need to be a lot bigger than somebody, yep. you know, maybe in their later years. Uh, and it, it also depends on, you know, your your living costs and the area you live in. Obviously, it's yeah. not a cheap part of the country. No, sure. So in terms of the well-won strategy, we, we won't actually cover that today because that's we do that in our programs. But yep. uh, if you're interested in our coaching programs, we do cover that. And as Stephen mentioned, if you actively manage your money on a short-term basis using simple strategies in many ways, but it, is, it just goes back to the Kelly criterion and moving averages as signals. Yep. If you've got the time to dedicate and it's not very time intensive, you can you can make that short-term pot of money work for you to cover yes. your living costs. But I think uh, in my experience, what most people are missing is really that, that middle pot, that middle well of yeah. wealth. That's what really gives people financial independence. It's liquid and they can generate decent returns through the cycle and then their long-term and legacy assets just keep compounding away in, in the background. Rate, yeah. That's it. And, yeah. you know, if you live to be touch wood these days, you might live in retirement for 20, 30, 40 years. Ideally, if you don't eat the seed corn, that can just keep on yeah. compounding away in the background. And, and your kids can eat it. Yeah, or you may, <laughs> you know, you may call on it one day, uh, spending the kids' inheritance, but uh, ideally you may not need to. So yeah. it would be, it's always nice to have, more than enough rather than, yeah, you know, sure. be forced into a position where you've got to, you know, actively really consider what you spend your money on. Yeah, and that's why, you know, people like to, it's good to maximise your, your peak earning years. Yeah. Because um, as you get later in life, you may not have the opportunity or you might lose your health or whatever yep. else. So, and uh, again, this, uh, the three wells strategy, so bringing it together, what you would really start with is look at your goals and your personality type and then 
start with the end in mind and work it backwards. Well, how much do I need in that well three? Yep. You know, how much is enough? Yep. How much do I need for the two to five year money? And how much do I need for an annual amount of money yep. to live on? And then once you've got some rough numbers in mind, then you can work at filling up the buckets. Yeah, and, you can uh, balance and you can, you know, as I often do, I move out of well one more into well two or, I, you know, I move some out of well two into well three because that's the general flow, you know. And as I say, with well three, you can look at it and say, I bought BHP and it's in a dip. But that's okay. Why? Because you don't need the money now, mm. okay? And if you've asset allocated properly, you can say, all right, I'll put a bit more in, okay? Because you can wait the next time. Whereas with well one, you can't sort of say, oh, well, I'll just not eat this week and leave it a couple of years. You can't do that. So it's a different way of thinking. Yeah. And particularly with that well three strategy, it's amazing. You know, people, you always hear these aphorisms and people say, don't take your cue from price, but people will, will buy a stock at 20 and it goes to 15. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah, like, yeah. No, this is the whole point. This is why you don't invest 100% That's right. in a in a stock or an ETF because it can always go lower. Yep. Um, but the whole point of Well3 is if those are funds you don't need for 20, 30, 40 years, well, if it gets cheaper, this is actually good news. Yeah, because- yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why Buffett says, you know, if you're investing over the next 20 years, you want cheap prices. Mm. Why? Because you buy cheap if and you're a compounds. Net if you're a net buyer, then lower prices are good. Yep. But it, it's worth reiterating from a previous episode, the capitalist distribution that ain't going to work if you put the money into speculative stocks, yeah. younger growth companies, because what you'll find is one or two will do well, one or two will do terribly, and some will do nothing. Yep. <laughs> what you really want in that pot is safe companies, systemic yep. companies that have been around for a very long time, yep. proven capital management. Through the cycles. That's it, and strong, profitable, dividend-paying companies, or if you want more safety ETFs. So I think that gives you a good flavour of the three wells you know, and it's a, it's a good way to think about total money management. So that's it for today on episode six. I look forward to joining you next time with more insights from the Low Rates High Returns podcast. Cheers. See you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.